Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, May 10th. It's time for the Power Hour. We're going to open up the phone lines. We're going to bring in the team from Pittsburgh Power, and we're going to take all of your maintenance-related calls and questions. So line them up. If you have a question, a comment, a topic about anything to do with maintenance, Engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it, we'll talk about it. The phone lines are open. I would jump in quickly and we'll get to those calls here in a little bit. Uh, I also want to let you know at 1230 today, 1230 Eastern time, we'll be doing our second episode of The Pit and we have a big announcement today. I have uh, brought in a co-host for The Pit, and we'll let you know at 12.30 who that's going to be today. And that uh, that is our co-host going forward. I'm looking forward to that. Also, I do want to let you know, uh, the last couple weeks, for the most part, the technology's been pretty smooth. They were working on the app. It gets better every day. It's in beta. And I hate to kind of rock the boat, but that's what this is all about. We're still testing stuff. As a matter of fact, I ended up on the air about 30 seconds late today because something I was testing decided to fail right at the last second. But uh, I may jump in and test something today. So be patient, bear with us. I've, for the most part, I have our setup, the audio equipment set up for a a, a permanent studio like here um, where I am now in a studio in a building with um, the same internet every day. We've got that technology pretty well worked out. That's what we've been using. I played around with some different settings, some different headsets, things like that, but I think we've got good sound. Um, the technology is really working well. Now, as much as I hate to rock the boat, this is what we need to do. I am working on a fully mobile setup with a minimal amount of equipment. And we're trying to see how good of sound quality we can get from that, or do we need to have all this equipment to do it? So what I'm going to be testing today is really um, an iPad setup that I've worked on where you can actually run the entire show from the iPad. Um, we do want to make sure sound quality is reasonably good. It sh probably won't be as good as when I'm in the studio with the board and my headset, but I think I can make it pretty darn good. We're, we're going to play around with that a little bit today. So if we have some technology glitches, you'll know why. But uh, we'll try to keep them to a minimum. We try to do as much testing offline as we can, but it's really difficult to test a lot of things unless you just do it live and the way we're doing it right now. So thought I'd warn you about that. There may be some glitches today. We'll see. Uh, other than that, let me take a look. We're, we're running the, um, the show a little differently today again. We've got the team from Pittsburgh Power on their own board uh, back in Pittsburgh, which I was doing when I was there. Now we're trying to do it without me there. So we'll see how that worked out. Um, 
I'm going to bring in the team from Pittsburgh Power now, and we'll see how that works. All right, guys, I just realized here's the first um, the first thing that's different for me. Normally, I see everybody on separate lines. Now, all I see is the board itself. So, uh, who's with us today? Oop, hold on one second. My audio, there's a glitch. My audio is going to the wrong place. Um, let me figure that out real quick. Oh, that's why. All right, try that again. Okay, Kevin, this is Pete. I'm here. Oh, good. This is Bruce. Okay. And who else do we have? Leroy. We have Leroy here also. Well, Leroy, don't be shy. Speak up. Oh, George had my headset. <laughs> well, ask Jordan if he's the one doing the show today, and if he's not, he better give up the headset. He's the one, though, that's making it so we all sound good, and he's been working with Aaron, and uh, we're also going to work on getting the movie cameras so that we can do it on video so we can demonstrate parts and talk about parts and why things fail and what you have to do and what different turbine housings and what they do. Lots of things to talk about. Good, good. But show and tell will be much better than trying to just explain. No, I'm looking forward to that. I think that is going to be a really awesome addition when we can do video, especially for you guys. I may do some video now and then. I'm not really sure what I would show. Who knows? Maybe I'll be making kombucha in the kitchen. I don't know. Uh, For you guys, I think the video is just going to be an awesome part of this. When people can see it, um, I think that's powerful. That really really makes a big difference in how they understand things. So the other thing I'm going to let you guys know today is I'm going to be here and I'm part of the show and running the show, but there are times where I might let you guys talk and do your thing because I'm going to be playing around with some technology here in the background. So uh, today's kind of a testing day. Um, We don't have any calls yet, so I'll tell people right now, line them up. Um, We do have a limited amount of time today. Uh, We have about an hour and a half uh, because then the pit starts at 1230. So if you start calling in late in the show, we may or may not get to you. If you dial right now, I promise we'll get to you. 855-950-3835. All right. uh, Well, who wants to go first today? Who has something? I, I will. I have lots of things. Good. Go ahead. All right. All the C-16 Caterpillar engines that we had that were in gen sets that had like 2,900 hours on, they're all sold. So they're gone. Last one is going to Iowa. The reason those engines had to be sold was they're right outside of Washington, D.C., and they weren't tier four emissions. Okay. Next is... I had an interesting call yesterday from a Danner, and he's in Oklahoma City. He's never heard of us, never spoke to us. And he has a 379 Pete with a C12 Cat. And he wants to put a 12.7 Detroit in it. And I asked him why. He said, because all my friends told me the C12 Cat will not make any power, and I need some horsepower for what I do. And so that's why I'm putting the 12.7 in. I said, well, who is telling you you can't get power out of a C-12 cat? I said, Carl Kellner has 729 horsepower out of his C-12, 
We still had two power settings to go. I said, we get all the horsepower you want out of that C12, and you're in Oklahoma. And I said, for a manifold turbo damper and balancer and an ECM program, uh, you're going to do your own labor because you're going to put this engine in. If you if you make the swap and you're mechanically inclined, you're looking at about $5,100. If you buy a 12.7 and you rebuild it, and by the time you get it in, you're going to be a minimum of $45,000. And we talked for about 45 minutes of the advantages of both engines. And uh, he was skeptical. And he said, well, I'll call you back tomorrow. I have to think about this. So you got to be careful when you get opinions from people that really don't know what they're talking about. And apparently he's talking to some friends that have no idea the capabilities of the C-12 cat. All right. Next thing is we, 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 kind of strange noise there. Yeah, that that was me. That that was the okay. kind of thing. That was the kind of thing I was warning people about today. You might get weird stuff like that as I'm playing around with things here in the background. So uh, it, just ignore them and keep moving. Go ahead. In the DPF alternatives. Uh, we are cleaning. We just finished it. No, we're doing right now an F-350 Ford. It's in a uh, steak body truck, cleaning the DPF on it. And just finished the Volvo, uh, putting the Volvo back together. And that's quite a job taking that apart. You have to take the right front tire off. You have to take the side panel off. And then the DPF comes out through the front. So those are two things about DPFs. Um we're also, I had a phone call yesterday, ISX 2012, and the guy owns a small fleet of trucks. His son's driving this one, and they just had it rebuilt by a small shop right outside of Chicago, and they made a big mistake. They had it deleted because he doesn't know anything about the max mileage fuel-borne catalyst, and right now it gets 3.5 to 4 mile per gallon between 70 and 75 miles an hour. It's got 336 gear and tall 22.5 tires. So I had his son yesterday on the phone. I had him slow it down to 65 from 75, and then on down to 63. We couldn't get the boost to change. And we couldn't get the digital readout on the mile per gallon to change either. So I went back and I spoke to JR, one of our engineers that does a lot of the remote tuning. And he said what the people did that did the delete was they locked the variable, variable geometry turbo in. And they only allowed it to move so many degrees. And so it's not fluctuating the way it should. And then the young man tells me. Oh, also, my Jake brake doesn't work well. So now we really know that the variable geometry is not closing. So they are today going back to that shop. That shop will not work with them. Doesn't They don't want to see the truck again. They said it's running fine. Everything's good at 3.5 to 4 mile per gallon. So they're going back and get the emission parts, going to bring it in. We're going to reinstall everything and tune it and set it up to be a nice 600 and get them back in the seven mile per gallon range. So again, people are still doing these deletes and three other shops just got busted again last month. So 
you got to quit asking for this. You're getting, when you ask a shop to do it, and they see dollar signs, it's getting them into trouble. And Bill, our remote tuner out of Nashville, has an international with the ISX, and it's got, came with 250 gears and a 10 over transmission. He's been listening to us talking about driving with turbo boost. There's no exhaust gas temperature gauge. So what he's doing is he's comparing his turbo boost to his instant readout on fuel mileage. And he, at 60 miles an hour, running from Nashville to Chicago and back, is averaging 8.95 mile per gallon at 60, running between four and six pounds of turbo boost on the level. So there you just had an almost identical truck getting three and a half to four mile per gallon, and another one that's getting 8.95. So when we say the driver is 66% of it, I think we're pretty close on that. And he said, being he doesn't have the pyrometer to compare the manifold pressure to, if you put your instant readout on your dash and look at your turbo boost gauge, you can see that every time you add a pound or two of boost, how your fuel mileage is coming down. That's all I have for today. All right. Well, I'll also uh, let all of you guys know if, you know, somebody pauses or stops and they're waiting for a response and I don't respond. Anybody can jump in because um, I got like six things going on over here. Um, so let's go to Pete next. Pete, what's on your mind this week? Hi, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind today? A couple of things. One, we set up a new max mileage dealer at a Peterbilt dealership in Missoula, Montana. So we'll have them carrying our max mileage now. And there's not much in that area for us. So that'll be great. And I just going to talk about some big cams, um, how busy we are with them. Um, not only what's going on in the shop, but, but sales. I've sold crazy amount of cylinder kits, used parts, new parts in the last three weeks. I'm just shocked that so many people are still running the big cams. You know, for four or five years ago, I thought, okay, this is going to be the end of them. And they just bounced right back. People are redoing old trucks. Yeah, and a lot of them are doing that. They're pulling them out of you know, being parked someplace because they don't want to deal with the emissions. They don't want the logs. And there's no way to put a log on a mechanical engine. So this is the, the ticket for them. And they're pretty dependable engines. There's not a whole lot to go wrong with them. Yeah, but a big cam? <laughs> really? A big cam? <laughs> yeah. A big cam. Of all the things to drag out of the junkyard. It's just trouble-free. They yeah. really are trouble-free. Nice. And affordable. They're still affordable to work on. Set of injectors are twelve ninety versus 1200 apiece for an ISX or X15. Yeah. You know, fuel pumps, we can go through one for 750 You know, so still an affordable engine to work on. At 750 that's a clean and check. That's a clean and check. Seal. A complete rebuild on a big cam fuel pump is how much? 1700 Okay. It's still a lot cheaper than a mechanical cat pump, which is in the 4000 range at this point. You have an old B or C model cat that needs a rebuild on a fuel pump. so Which is harder to get parts for, a big cam or an ISX? 
Right now, probably an ISX. We've been doing pretty good on big camp parts. I'm pretty well stocked here. If you, I mean, everything from injectors to rebuilds, we're in pretty good shape. Impressive. Yeah. Pretty good shape for them. So anyone that needs them and used parts, we have quite a few of used parts for the big camps as well. If anyone needs any, give us a call. All right. Hey, Kevin. Go ahead, Bruce. When I was, I was pausing when I was going from subject to subject. I was uh, letting our listeners, uh, giving them a few seconds to think, because I know if I'm listening to somebody talk and they're they're going from subject to subject, I need those three or four seconds in between. No, I like that. A lot of times I usually jump into that gap and say something or comment, and I know people are used to me jumping in and doing that, so I just thought I'd let Pete and Leroy know they can jump in at any time. And I probably won't be jumping in as much. I mean, I'm going to be going back and forth from checking sound to testing things and playing around. And you guys can handle the calls and the questions. So uh, we'll uh, we'll move on. Leroy, what's on your mind this week? Um, I have, I guess, one thing from last week. Am I quiet? No, you sound good. Better? Go ahead. Yeah. Yep. Uh, first time with a headset for since I guess years ago. Yeah. When I did the the show. That's so, right. A little weird with that, but anyway, from last week we had those a uh, couple calls about the sixty series with the stumble. If you guys remember that. Yes. So we had one that showed up here. Um, what was it last Thursday? Anyway, he showed up here and he says I can get it to do it right now. And I said, all right, bring it in. He said, I'll be there in 45 minutes. So he shows up. I jump in the truck and we go right down 228. That's what, less than a mile, mile and a half. And it does it right away. Blows a big puff of smoke out the back. I'm like, okay, this is the, the stumble everyone's talking about. So I pull up the timing on uh, the diagnostic software to see what it's going to. And as soon as it does the stumble, you can see that the ignition timing is way late. It's after top dead center, which on an engine with that compression ratio and that turbo, et cetera, et cetera, it should be more than, you know, way before top dead center without giving any specific numbers. Okay. So I was like, that that has to be what the issue is. You're, you're going down a hill. The engine is still pumping air, which is cooling the cylinders off. And then you want to inject fuel after top dead center it's a recipe for a misfire and a stumble, white smoke, incomplete combustion that's causing the misfire. So now we have to track down what is causing the late timing. So to make a long story short, it's pretty much there's a, a control system in the ECM that tries to adapt NOx while you're driving. It, it knows whether you're in a city or in a rural environment based on like gear shifts and acceleration, things like that. Okay. So, Based on those conditions, it will adapt the NOx accordingly. So with that enabled, it put it into another mode, that which also offsets the timing in a negative direction. So with those two features, I should say, it's, it pretty much made the timing after top dead center, which made the miss. So all we had to do was change around some of the, the way that it was programmed. So it did not go late. It went early the way it's supposed to be. And we went back up and down the road. A few more times, didn't stumble at all. I've been waiting to hear a call back from them, but uh, I think we got that one fixed. That was pretty easy. 
You know what, though? You say it was pretty easy and you make it sound easy the way you just described it. But I I just wonder if we took that truck to 20 different shops around the country, how many people would figure it out? Yeah, that's, it's a bit tough. But at the same time, I don't, I don't know. To me, it's easy because there's only so many things that you can control. I'm just like, it has to be the amount of fuel or when, you know, and it's, it's not a mechanical thing because the guy replaced basically everything. So it has to be an ECM thing. Yeah. And, you know, things are seem easy when you know all the stuff you need to know to troubleshoot that and figure it out. And that's the advantage you guys have there. And I was bragging about you guys last week about how, the engineering department is really all a bunch of gearheads, um, which I, I didn't realize till I got to spend time with you guys. But that, I think that's the difference here. You know, so many mechanics, technicians, whatever you want to call them, they may be able to plug in the laptop, but I don't think they really have that deep understanding of what's going on the way you guys do on, on that side of it, on the programming side, what's happening in the ECM. And um, I, I don't think they have that same kind of understanding most of the time. I think what, what happens a lot of times we took a bunch of mechanics and we kind of showed them some processes. It's kind of like me when it comes to all this audio stuff, where I even talk about when I work on electrical, I, I don't really know mm-hmm. what I'm doing. I, I've, I'm kind of self-taught, plug this in, see if it works. If it doesn't work, plug this in. Whereas somebody who understands how this works would walk in and do what I do, what takes me two hours would take them 15 minutes because everything I do is trial and error. And I, I think that's what happens with a lot of these mechanics. They don't have that real understanding of what's going on in the programming and because you understood both sides, the mechanical side, you know how an engine works. You understand top dead center timing, fuel delivery, all that stuff, and you understand the programming. So for you, you go, oh, well, yeah, this was an easy one. I, I don't think this would be an easy one for most shops. In fact, I think most shops would give up. I, I think your analogy actually is pretty good with the, the soundboard thing because, to be fair, a lot of the manufacturers don't give mechanics these, this sort of resources right off the bat you have to go digging for it so if you look up on like diagnostics like the, the the detroit stuff as far as to figure out how the control system works they don't tell you they tell you how to put a new injector in they tell you a little bit about what smoke mode does and this and that but you can look up the patent or the method for how to control the engine on google now you have to search and search and you have to know what you're looking for and play the comment lottery, but like that patent exists and you have to go find it and then you have to read it and understand it. So it's the same thing with like your soundboard. So if you get a soundboard, they give you a manual with it. And you know, if the thing doesn't work, there's a troubleshooting section that says, you know, make sure it's plugged in. You know, do you have this turned on? Do you have that turned on? But to actually like tune the board and, you know, have everything set up the way you need to, they don't tell you how to do that. No. And, and you know, like, there's some other really basic things, like when you're dealing with audio, there's shielded cables, unshielded cables, balanced cables, unbalanced cables. I don't know what the hell any of that is. And it, it'll say right, right there, make sure you're using a balanced cable. Well, an unbalanced cable looks exactly the same. You plug it in, it kind of sort of does the same thing. But then you get one weird anomaly somewhere that shows up later. And unless you understand all of the stuff, the, the basics, 
how everything works, it's not going to click and you're going to go, oh, well, maybe that cable I put in was unbalanced and it needs to be balanced. It, it, it's, it really takes extra effort to, to right. learn about this stuff and all it, the other It does. Boxes. That's how you really get good at this stuff. Kevin? Bruce? You have to go way back. When you were in high school, you had guys that were really good with electronic stuff. I mean, I had it back in the 60s. These people were a little different. They God gave them something in their brain that the rest of us didn't get. And if Pete and I are talking to our engineering department about how you build a higher performance big cam, they just stare at us. <laughs> well, there's no laptop. <laughs> when you hear Ethan talk, well, you just do, or, or Leroy, Leroy, Ethan, JR, or Chai, those are our four guys. Oh, you just do this, do that, put your voltmeter on and look at this. You know what? That, that hardly means anything to most of us. <laughs> right. We don't have that chromosome or whatever it is that, <laughs> that the electrical people get. And and they're all like that. So we're we're the normal ones. They're a little different. It, it, in, a good, in, in a good way. They're special. Way. They're special. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about all this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's put it this way. I think the rest of us are a little jealous what they know and how they can do things and fix things, you know, and when you're at home and your television's doing something or this or that, uh, they just go right in and, and make the change. I think, what the hell happened now? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> well, and electrical engineers are different types of people and they, and they talk differently and they use different terminology than us mechanical people. I agree, and right. I, I think one of the things, that, and again, I kind of talked about this last week and complimented you on this, is that you found a really amazing group that they do have that different brain for all the electrical, the programming, all, the ECMs, all of that, but they're also true gearheads. I mean, these guys really get the mechanicals. Yep. I worked with them. I, I had them help me, and I was impressed um, by all of them. Really, when it comes when it came to just pure mechanical stuff, forget all the electrical and ECMs. They were out there helping me with charger coolers and lines and air conditioning, and they're good at it. Mm-hmm. That's right. If you see all the little different things and connectors that we have in the engineering department. It's like whenever they open a drawer and I look, I say, where'd you guys get all this? Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the normal parts. No, no, it's not. It, but it's what's necessary now. Right. You know, and most of us learn with a 12 volt test light. If it doesn't show up in a 12 volt <laughs> test light, and then we graduated to voltmeter. But, you know, if you don't use your voltmeter for a year and you look at it, you got to plug it in to an outlet or put it on a 9-volt battery or 12-volt battery and start turning the dial. Now, oh, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. Now I that, have a place to start. That's exactly how yep. I use right. my multimeter. Exactly. Yep. I plug right. it into something that I you understand and turn the dial till the numbers start to look familiar, and I think I'll be able to figure it out from there. That's right. See, you you don't have the chromosome. That they I don't. Have. I don't. I, I'm even reading a book on basic electrical 
concepts. It's like electrical one-on-one just because I think I need to. I should have done it a long time ago um, because, like I say, trial and error can only take you so far, and it takes a long time. I'd rather just know this stuff and go, yeah, just do this, plug it in here, try this. So I'm going back to try to learn more of that stuff. And then this audio stuff, I had to learn this 15 years ago when XM gave me a show, but didn't give me any money, didn't give me any equipment, didn't give me anything. They said, if you can figure out how to make a show happen, we'll put it on the air. And I had to go learn all this stuff. And I, I haven't dealt with it for years. And now it's all changed. I mean, all this technology is completely different from what I set up just six or seven years ago. So I'm back at it again. And uh, sometimes it gets frustrating. All right. Well, um, good stuff. I'm going to stick with my uh, my prediction that most shops would send you on your way and you would still have that problem. That I just don't think there are many shops that would have figured that one out. Um, all right. Yeah. So if you got one, just uh, let us know. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And I, I want people to think about this. There are a couple ways you can take the information we put out here. And it's totally up to you. You could take this back to your shop and say, hey, guys, I've got this problem. This shop figured it out. Here's what they said it is. And you can let them go at it if you want. You may or may not get good results. Depends on your shop. Um, Or you can support the people that do all the work to figure this stuff out. Like Leroy was just explaining, he went and found patents and read through patents to figure out how things work. Because a lot of times, that's that's it. The, trying to get this stuff from OEMs or training, sometimes it's just not there. So support the people that do the work to figure this stuff out. All right, what do you say we go to some phone calls? Okay. Yeah. All right, let's... Uh, all right, so once we go to calls, I may or may not be paying full attention. So just understand, if you have to yell to get my attention... Um, go ahead. I'm going to be playing around with stuff in the background here. And again, I'm working on what I think is pretty cool technology. Um, I want to be able to walk around with nothing but a phone or an iPad and a headset and do the show from anywhere and run the entire show like a host would. So that's, uh, that's the technology I'm starting to play around with today. Let's, uh, let's get started in Illinois. David, welcome to the program. Good morning, gentlemen. It is very refreshing to hear all you people talk when you're out here on a deserted, man, I won't say deserted, but a very boring long stretch of road. I just wish we could do it 24 hours a day. Well, we, we, kind, <laughs> of, we kind of do. Our stream runs 24 hours a day now. Well, that's true, but I haven't figured out. Well, I haven't taken the time. I'm what I'm doing is I'm finding myself listening listening to a lot of reruns. So I've still got to work on those little glitches on my end, and it's basically just out of laziness that I haven't made it very far. Well, and and we're working on but, that as well with the listener app. We're going to make all of that stuff a lot better. Okay, and I'm sure it will be. We'll just have to wait the time out, and then we'll be able to hit it full time. There you go. Anyhow, I have an ACM question that I'll throw it out there, and anyone, whoever feels the best to answer it. I have a 
model cat with I'm approaching three hundred thousand now on a, a cat dealer end frame. They did a very good job, made it a, a true five fifty. Was a four fifty five, I think. Anyhow, the ECM that's on here is all factory, and my service manager at home assured me that he kept it at the low knox file, whatever that is. I, I don't know what the true file number is. But anyhow, I am at that point where I want to have a tune down on it. But here's the glitch. I have a spare ECM that I would like to have your tune done to. And that's only because the other ECM is working good. I, I don't want to touch it. A couple of weeks ago, though, I had to swap these ECMs out. I was having a starting issue, and I thought it was ECM-related. So I threw this spare ECM on. Same problem existed. I found the problem, though. But what I did notice is my tack didn't work. So that says, testing, you're going to have to completely put a new file in this ECM. So my question is, what is the best way for us to do this? Do I send you both ECMs, send the truck over to you, or drive the truck over to you, or can this all be accomplished through one of your remote tuners? Well, the best way is to have you here first. That way we can verify everything. The next best way is to send both of them in. That way we can just copy from one to the other. And then the third best one was we can try to do it at a remote dealer. It just might take a little bit more time. Okay. Well, it's sort of what I had thought in my own mind. So I will uh, see when I can take some time off. I'm one of those greedy ones. I'm, you know, afraid. I, I'm in one of those ideal setups to where it actually pays me to run 70 mile an hour sometimes because my shipper and receivers are all 24-7. And it's just a matter of getting there as fast as I load one direction and I run back empty the other. So I'm just chasing the dollar at the moment, but I'll try to, what, what kind of lead time do you guys need then to uh, do something like that? And I, I might as well have the overhead done at the same time. I've only had two overheads done on this and I'm at that three, almost at that 300,000 mark. So I'm going to need another one. Just, just the ECM part is just going to be, you know, let me know a couple of days at a time. The overhead part, you probably have to get a hold of Pete or somebody scheduling this talk about that one, see when they can begin. On the overhead, oh. we're the second week of August. So we can get oh. you into engineers in two days, but we cannot get you into the office. Okay. Well, we'll just do one thing at a time then. So I'll, uh, I'll call. If you can get the truck here, if you can get the truck here, You'll be in the dyno with the guys when it's on the dyno. You'll get to see what it's doing. If you want to make any other changes, uh, all you do is request it, and they'll do it. And then you go for a test ride, and then you have to smile on your face. Because everything is done with you there, and you get to witness it, and you get to make any adjustments you want. Okay. Well, let me ask you, I'm going to throw one little thing in there. Would they be willing to put up with my wife making those requests? Because it's actually a little bit odd that our last truck that we had um, before this one was a W9. You guys put a bunch of stuff on it, and it had a power box. And 
she actually enjoyed the power box because she knew when we were doing the show, she could she would flip it up to stage four, and she knew I wouldn't say anything. So would uh, you know? But she's not going to be. What's that? We had a husband and wife team came to one of the truck shows. Um, they always kept his caterpillar on level two or three with the firebox. And he would, I think he drove during the day and she drove at night. She said he was sleeping, she would put it up to five. And then when she'd hear him get up in the morning, she'd turn it back down to two. And I said, why did you do that? She said, because I don't like a man to pass me. And so we like opinion from women. Uh, we, it's kind of refreshing to have a woman that knows what she's talking about come in here and spend time in the dino room. You know, it's odd, but I almost wonder if that wasn't. Was, was she a little petite, sandy blonde? Well, we don't need to incriminate anybody, but... That sounds like what yeah. she would do. I may maybe maybe I yeah. Did you come to Louisville or Dallas truck shows? We come to Louisville every year, except for the last two years or three years. But yeah, we've been and we've talked with you many times there at Louisville and also at Walcott. So yeah, here that's interesting. Here I am talking to so like four million people are listening. <laughs> well, I know she's not listening. She's at home right now taking care of some home issues while I'm out here running for both of us. So anyhow, um, I will run that by her and maybe we can get out there the next couple of weeks because like I say, we're approaching it. And I've got 400,000 miles of warranty on this. That's one reason why I want to keep that stock ECM alone. But we've run it long enough now, and I mean, and we put it through the paces. When we're lo there is no in between. We're loaded one direction at eighty to eighty-one thousand, and we're empty the other. So we put it through the paces. I'm not worried about any mechanical issues. I, I just want to get some more out of it. Let me so let's talk about let's talk about one. If a mechanic is assembling an engine. Leave something loose. Pain bearing cap bolts, bike cap bolts, uh, rocker arm bolts. That engine will run about three and a half miles. Right. It will fail. It will fail before it pulls the first load. If we build an engine here, by the time we take it for a ride of about 16 miles and then we put it on dyno, uh, if we made a mistake, it never gets back to the customer uh, because it fails. So these 400,000-mile warranties, if you break a rod or uh, snap the camshaft because the force tamper's bad or something like that, that's one thing. But as far as the mechanic making a mistake, you'll know it before the first trip. Correct. Well, I'm, I'm, I speak in general terms. When we had this end frame done, we had everything replaced because of the way CAT's optic warranty is. That way, you know, the turbo, the water pump. I mean, we even had new uh, injector bolts put in so that if that little bolt broke, it was still covered. So that's when, when I refer to warranty. I don't usually worry about warranty, but 
my cat warrant is the only thing that I do think about a little bit. So, but I, you know, it's run long enough. We've made enough money with it in the 300,000 that, you know, if she was to blow up tomorrow, it wouldn't bother me because then we could go in there and build it a little better the next time. All right. Well, give us a couple of days notice when you want to come in. I will do that. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, is anybody hearing me right now? Yes, we can hear you. Oh, good. Well, I am, uh, I, I am transmitting right now from my totally mobile setup. So walking around with nothing but an iPad and my headset, it seems to be working. Wow. Yes. All right. I mean, uh, like garage. You're like you're on speakerphone. Okay. Oh, it does sound like I'm on speakerphone? Yeah. Okay. All right. Then my mic must be picking up somewhere where I don't think it should be then. That's good info. All right. I'm going to put you guys on a call so I can play around with that. We're going to go this time to Wisconsin. Tim, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Hey, uh, Bruce, this question's for you. I know you're always looking for Max Myrich stories. So uh, I build performance chainsaws. So we take them apart. Uh, we do pistons, cylinders, timing, ports. And, uh, you know, we build them for performance. And uh, so I use max mileage uh, uh, in those, you know, one cc per gallon. I use that in my mix. And really, we use that to kind of keep carbon, you know, in those small two-strokes. Got a lot of carbon buildup and. Uh, that seems to really help keep those engines run clean. Yes, it does. I never forgot the story about the guy with the leaf blower. He said it used to take four to five poles to start it. Now with the max mileage catalyst in the gasoline along with the two-stroke oil, it fires on the first pole. Do you build those chainsaws they use in the lumberjack contest? <laughs> no, no, no. Ours are strictly uh, performance saws for working professionals. Uh, so oh. we don't, I mean, I suppose we could, but we don't build race saws. Uh, we build, you know, we build for people that are in the industry that want, you know, it's like when you build an engine, you know, you want the guy that, you know, the guy wants the extra horsepower. That's kind of what we do. And it's, it's interesting, the performance gains that, that we get, you, you, I mean, you could appreciate they're just, they're night and day difference. Interesting. I got a chainsaw story, but I'd rather talk to you on the phone about it and not over the <laughs> air. So, <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, we yeah. do interesting things. You know, we do interesting things. You know, we cut cylinders, we time them, change with time, you know, we play with timing. Uh, we do just about everything to them. And, um, uh, especially the new technology stuff, you know, all the new, new technologies running all computer carbs and that. And, um, you really, you, it, it, it's really, it's kind of like when you would put your foot into a, you know, a high performance diesel, you, it, it's the same thing. You know, you pull that trigger on that chainsaw and you just, the smile is just says it all. And I always say this to people, once you run a saw like that, you will never run one that ain't like that. I can believe that. 
So just uh, wanted to add to your list of stories for max mileage. I do run it in all my diesel stuff too, my logging equipment. But um, uh, so yeah, just a little. I didn't know of too many people doing that, but I I run that in just about everything. So call me later today on the landline. I have a question for you. Will do. Okay. Then it's it's a chainsaw question. Will do. Sounds good, Bruce. All right. Thanks for the call. Is anybody hearing me now? Yes. Does it sound any different, or does it still sound like I'm in an echo chamber? Echo chamber. Can you bring the mic closer to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that it's actually picking up off the, uh, the built-in mic on the iPad. I don't think it's picking up from this headset. That's why it sounds like that. So... I'm going to figure out why it's not grabbing the headset. Um, we uh, better now. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, I'll have to keep playing around with it. But in the meantime, I've been playing around with it. I didn't realize we didn't have any calls left. So um, you guys can talk about whatever you want to talk about, or we'll wait to get some calls here. If you want to jump in, phone lines are wide open. I wasn't paying attention. 855 Nine five zero three eight three five is the number to join us. And if you dial right now, I promise you'll get through. You have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all to do with maintenance, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, all the stuff we always talk about. Now's your chance. Normally, our lines are slammed at this point in the show. Um, I don't know if it's because we're playing around with stuff or I'm not paying attention or what's going on, but uh, we've got phone lines open. Um, Bruce, I know we were working on trying to get the video because we wanted to show some parts and some things this week. Did you have something specific you were going to do? Well, um, I wanted to talk about turbo boost gauge versus exhaust gas temperature gauge and driving by those two gauges and or the year. Uh, fuel mileage. What do we want to call it? The fuel mileage gauge on the dash. It's called your instant readout. But I also yeah. wanted to show the clearance in barrels and plungers and injectors. And I wanted to take a turbocharger apart and show people what the bearing and what the thrust washer looks like. We had a fellow send us in a 12.7 turbo for warranty. And he's older than me. He's uh, 76 years old. And, uh, boy, he got all pissed off on the phone when I told him there's no warranty. He burnt the center section. And he said, I don't need a pyrometer. I've been driving all my life, and I'm 76 years old. I said, well, I'm 73, and I'm telling you that you've got a problem, and you need to pressurize your full intake system because you're not getting your full boost because – you're making too much heat and you don't know it. Well, the new turbo is working just fine. I said, well, yeah, it's going to work fine until you burn it up. And he also, you should have about 10,000 end play. He had 25,000 end play, which means he took out the thrust washer on the compressor side of the turbo, which centers the turbo. And that happens because you have either a wet or dirty air filter and you're making the wheel the wheel is just like a, the compressor wheel is like a propeller. The propeller on a boat is turning to go through the water. Well, the compressor wheel, as it sucks in the air, 
is like a vacuum cleaner. That wheel is actually trying to come out of that compressor housing and go forward towards the truck, towards the front of the truck. So you have to think about that. This guy had two problems. He has an air filter problem or an air filter restriction problem, and he's got extremely high exhaust gas temperature. And after he cursed and swore at me and slammed the phone down, and I said, you know what? I don't have to deal with that anymore. (laughs) That's why I want to show people. And so they can realize this stuff happens. You know, it doesn't matter how many years you've been driving. Uh, A few years back, I had a guy in here, and he's one of these trainers for a big fleet. And he told me he didn't need a boost gauge and a pyrometer to teach people how to drive a truck because he's been driving a truck for five or six years. And I tried to explain to him, but he was a stonehead. He didn't want to hear it. And so that's why I like to do show and tell. Show and tell, and we are going to continue working on that technology. You know, in the past, I would come up against topics that were hard to explain if I couldn't show something. And sometimes it's just numbers on a piece of paper. But if you can see that when I'm talking about it, it makes more sense, whether it's fuel tax, uh, investments, there, there are always these topics that I would get frustrated because I would think I was explaining them right. And then as soon as somebody would ask a question, I'd realize I'm not explaining this right. And if the topic was important enough, fuel tax, things like that, I would do a webinar. You know, instead I'd say, hey, you know what, I'm going to do a webinar tonight and, you know, it'll be an hour and we'll record it. And But now what we want to do with all the new technology, I want to build out the studio here so that anytime we want to turn on the video, we just can. You know, it doesn't have to be planned as a webinar and, you know, another, there might be times where, who knows, maybe we'll do video all the time. I don't know. I just don't understand why somebody would want to just watch me walk around and talk. But when we need video, I want to be able to just hit it and go, hey, if you want to watch this, go to you know, truckingtribe.com and you'll see it there live. And when we hit a topic and I have something here I could show, then I just turn on the video. And if you want to go watch it, you can go watch it. So that's part of the other technology we're working on. And then, of course, we want to make that mobile. I mean, imagine if you guys could walk out into the shop with an iPad or a phone running the show and just turn on the camera and show one of your mechanics doing something. Right. You know, another thing is whenever people send in an ECM and it's got water in it or diesel fuel in it and it's burnt, it would be nice to show people what happened to their ECM. Yeah. Yeah. People don't want to hear Well, how do they get water in the ECM? Well, there's people in the front on the Detroits. And if you pressure wash the front of the ECM, you can push water right in there. I mean, West Virginia University brought, uh, well, they sent us the ECM and had a half inch of diesel fuel <clears throat> off of one of their buses. Yeah. Yeah. Or the Show something people. you guys do all the time, very few, if any, other shops are doing it around the country. And it's such a, and I just experienced how valuable it was the smoke test. 
Nobody else does that. You guys do it all the time. I, I think people would like to see how that works, what what you're doing during the smoke test and how many problems it can find. Right. When you think 80% of the trucks that come in here have a boost leak. Yeah, not, 80%. Not that's a lot. No. But I'm not surprised it's because it's, nice. you, you there's... And when you said the the eighty percent in the leak might not be large, if it's not large, it's almost impossible to find without a smoke test. I mean, you can spend an awful lot of time looking for a leak like that. I did, and I, you just can't find them. You put the smoke to it, and immediately you know where it is. All right. Well, I just look, guy takes a pistol. I just looked down again, and we have Go a. Ahead bunch of calls so i'm going to get back to the calls while we've got them and uh we've got so maybe 30 minutes left 25 30 minutes so let's get to some calls they're flying in now let's go to missouri frank welcome to the program good morning gentlemen uh i got one of the tunes done with uh remote tune with pittsburgh power a couple years ago on this 2020 x15 uh, I guess it's actually a 2019 engine, but uh, I've been trying to figure out what's the best RPM or best guess for the best RPM for fuel mileage. And uh, we've had some people tell us if you run it down too low, it's not good for it because it's uh, too long of a stroke. So um, sounds like we have a conflict of interest here. Well, let me jump in. Let with, me ask you a question. But- let me jump in, Bruce, but, and I'm not going to give many specifics, but one of the things we should clarify when we talk about RPM range and the term downspeeding comes up, again, I don't think anybody right. has ever put yeah. a clear definition on what downspeeding means. And so a lot of times we'll talk about just running any engine below what everybody else is doing. So, you know, most trucks out there are running around in the 13, 14, 1500 range. Whether it's best for them or not, that's just how they end up being geared. That's what what most is going on. So if you talk about even running at, say, 1100, a lot of people would consider that downspeeding. Now, when we talk about the Volvo Mac platform and the turbo compounding, now we're talking about sometimes as low as 900 RPM. That's true downspeeding. Those are the gear ratios we're getting into the really low twos. You know, 2.13, there, there's yeah. some really high gear ratios down there. There is something in the 190s now. That's true downspeeding. When, when somebody for says... Yeah, for a rear gear. We're, we're, there, we're into the 190s now. Yeah. Yeah, those are fast gears, really fast. And, and we have to have new transmissions to be able to handle those. And, and right now, it seems like only the Volvo Mac platform is going that route. True, really low down speeding. They've got their own transmissions that can do it. The 14 speed has super low crawler gears and reverse. And you, you can't run most engines down at that range. They're, they're just not built for no, it, the I architecture, I, right. I do too much off-road stuff to have a gear like that on my rear end. That would be terrible. Well, well no, it wouldn't because, again, don't, don't 
forget that well, that rear gear is, I mean. that's the point right there with that transmission you are absolutely yeah. correct you could never use those kind of gears so but we could say that if you want to run your x15 at 1150 or 1200 that is kind of down speeding for that engine and we don't want to go right. too low because the architecture just won't hold up to it so, well, I'm at uh, 60 miles an hour, 13th gear, top gear for this truck. Uh, 60 miles an hour is about 1290 for the RPMs. Yeah, and see, I, we've been running this way for about three or four months or so, and we're getting about 7.3 for the average fuel mileage. That's the 650 horsepower tune. Yeah, now and we're 50,000 pounds empty weight. Here's the other. You're out. Oh, let me throw in one more thing, and then Bruce, I'll let you go with what you were going to say. Um, the other thing we want to remember, even if we get to an RPM range that won't tear the engine up, you know, it might handle 1100, but where is the torque and horsepower? And a lot of these engines, it's much right. higher than that. So you can try to run it down here; it just isn't very drivable sometimes. Go ahead, well, Bruce. with the Pittsburgh tune, you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah, that that, that <laughs> is true. Any RPM I want. That that is it true. It'll go up the hills yeah. and down the hills, and uh, I'm telling you what, it's it's pretty fantastic. It puts a smile on my on face the, every day. Good on the twelve ninety RPM at sixty. That's kind of perfect. Um, at fourteen hundred okay. is where that is. Say that a little bit. Now, here's what I want you to do. Do you have a turbo boost gauge? Yes, sir. Okay, and your instant readout for your miles per gallon. Yep, we do have that. To find, to find your ultimate, play around, and when you're on the level and you're loaded, see how low you can get the boost and how high you can get the fuel mileage. Now, if you go too yep. low, fuel mileage might drop off too because if you go too low in the RPM, it's going to take more boost because of the lack of rotating mass. So play around with it. You tell me, you call us back or call in on the radio show next week and say, well, okay, I found out that 1350 or might be 1150. Doing. That's what we've okay. been doing. Uh, we've been, we went to Kevin's very first CMC and we've been uh, in attendance ever since. Uh, if you will. And, oh, hey, uh, hey, let me let me so jump we, in. So there. We know what we're doing. And you do, do you mean yeah. the true first CMC in Orlando? Yes, sir. Wow. No, I'm sorry. We oh, went okay. to the one in. Uh, we went to the one in uh, over by Dallas. Grand okay. Prairie. Got it. Okay. And we had the poster child truck. Got now. I remember. Every example you Perfect. Gave of a bad truck was, was ours. <laughs> Point at them. Yeah. No, don't do what they did. Yeah, I remember one CMC. We but, took somebody's bug deflector off and put it in the room for sale, and nobody wanted to buy it. Um, yeah, you you go we way got back a on the CMC then. Seven point four, by the way. Excellent. Yes, Excellent. Sir. That was a two uh, two thousand two W nine hundred, and. Uh, it had everything on it, you know, the bug deflector and the windshield, the 12-inch drop and everything. And yep. 
after your show, we started working on it, and we got that up to seven four for a lifetime average. Wow. Incredible. Yeah, Which so is why you, I'm so disappointed in my newer trucks. I can't even get that far. It pisses me off. All this new technology, and they're garbage. Well, you know, I, I, I don't think they're garbage. I think we still have a lot to learn about them. I, I really think that's the case. I, I mean, suppose, the, yeah. the aerodynamics have improved so much. Components, transmissions, drive lines, oils, sure. all the things we need to get better fuel economy. Yeah, they're all better now. And I get why you're frustrated. I, I'm kind of frustrated too. You know, we have we have trucks running around now getting 10 and 11 miles to the gallon. Pretty incredible stuff. And I mean, you know, true 30-day averages. And yet you can still go buy a I've new truck. i 15 miles an hour. And that's big. You should get a mile and a half out of that alone. And yet we still, yep. you can still go out and buy a new truck today, put it on the road and get six and a half miles to the gallon. Yeah, we we need to learn a lot more. Uh, that that's that's really and that's why we do this the show. We're fighting the EPA on all this, right? Uh, yeah, and we're heading for another round of emission standards again. Yep. They say they want us to get better fuel mileage, and then they throw all this crap on us that that uh, well, makes the manufacturers throw up their hands and say, "Well, you know, make a choice because we can't do both." And let me tell you where I, where we would be today if it wasn't for the EPA. We'd probably all be getting twenty miles to the gallon. Who knows? Um, here's one of our problems too that makes this so much more difficult. If we go back to that a truck like yours, to late '90s, early 2000s, which I think was almost like prime time. We know a lot about oh, getting. That truck, yeah, we know a lot about getting fuel economy out of those trucks. But if you think about it, the physics on a lot of things are identical. Aerodynamics are aerodynamics. I don't care whose name is on the truck. Um, rolling resistance yep. is rolling resistance. It doesn't matter what name is on the truck or anything else. Um, drive line resistance, a lot of times, it, it's, it's all just physics. Where things are getting more complicated are the engines and systems themselves that are nowhere near alike anymore. Cat Cummins in Detroit, there wasn't that much difference between an N14, a Series 60, and a 6NZ. And we could get fuel mileage out of all of them. You look at the engines today, and it's almost like you have to start specializing. You know, it, it, I, I hope that someday I get to the point where I know as much about all these new engines and how to get fuel economy out of them as I did out of those engines. But boy, it's a whole lot more complicated today. And the manufacturers aren't as willing to sell you what you want anymore. I tried to spec this truck with uh, more uh, friendly transmissions and so forth with uh, lower start gears and right. different things. And they, they wouldn't let me with the engine I wanted. I had to get... Uh, 400 horsepower engine to get the transmission I wanted. It's like, I know why I'll find I, a waiver. I don't care I, about warranty. This is what I want. Right. And they uh, nope, nope, won't do it. Yep. We we've dealt with that and too. The same damn engine. I, I know. I know. We've dealt with that too. And, and there, if I had known about Pittsburgh power tune at the time, I would have gone that route and just had them. Yeah. Not tell anybody. Cause you know, it's there you go for this transmission anyway. Yep. All right. Uh, Bruce, anything else you want to add to this one? Or 
Leroy, Pete, no, anybody? I'm already doing comparing the boost with the uh, instant fuel mileage readout on the dash. Yep, we're trying to keep the boost under 10 all the time. And if we can do that, that's like where we see that little blue dot swing way to the right. There you go. Like I'm at 7.4 right now, but as long as that stays down, it, that dot will still keep to the right. Mary, my wife got uh, 7.8 yesterday at the end of her shift. So we're doing what we can, but I just want to make sure I'm not going too low on the RPMs. Have you thought of the exhaust the manifold? Have you thought of the ordered and ceramic coated exhaust manifold and intake manifold on the X-15? We have. Um, at some point, we're going to be coming down and having you guys put on a dyno, and that will help us probably fine-tune it a little more. But uh, we've been so busy lately with hauling freight that it's uh, the downtime is not feasible right now. Yeah, yeah. Make hay while the sun shines. Yes, sir. We are making some hay. <laughs> there you go. Good. Good. I like to hear that. All right. Well, great stuff. We will look forward to hearing more about this one. I'm going to cut you loose. We've got to get to some calls here. We're going to head off to Pennsylvania. Bob, welcome to the program. Thank you, Kevin. Um, you guys were talking about smoke, uh, the smoke test. Something else that works well for a do-it-yourselfer in the garage would be a bottle of soapy water. A lot of times that'll, you know, may take a little bit for the bubbles to show where you can actually see them, but if you saturate it enough, it'll, it'll come out. Yeah, yeah, that, um, again, that, that is another good technique if that's what you've got. On okay, a boot, Bruce. Wait, wait, let's yeah, go back to that. On a boot, a lot of times... At idle, you don't have boost, so the soapy water won't show that, but a can of ether spraying around something, and if you spray it, let's say you're on the passenger side, and you spray it in front of the charger cooler, and two seconds later, you hear the engine accelerate, you know you just sprayed some ether into a crack. I I agree with you, but I was talking about doing the the... Kevin Rutherford, uh, Home Depot, uh, homemade <laughs> pressure tester. Yeah, right. Oh, because right. I think I, oh, okay. I think I got a whole twenty dollars tied up in the mine. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, and we did that for years ourselves. We would use soapy water. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that. We take the rubber elbow that goes on the turbocharger, and if it say it's five and a half inch ID, we cut a steel plate in a circle, five and a half inch ID, drill a hole in the center, and it's seven sixteenths drill bit, quarter inch pipe tap, and put an air chuck in there. And then we have a quarter turn valve. We put 20 pounds of air in it. Sometimes it will cap off and shut the valve and see how long it holds the air pressure. But keep in mind, you do have air going past the open intake valve. But when you have the 20 pound of air pressure in there, you walk around and you listen for the air escaping. And if it's small, you do the soapy water. So you're correct on that. So, um, about a year and a half ago, you and I were talking different ideas uh, as far as rear end gears. Um, 
you were talking with a gentleman up in West Seneca area, uh, and they recommended the 264s. So I decided I went with the 264s. I absolutely love them. My mechanic thinks I'm insane. And I said, well, I, I screwed up. I should have done this a lot sooner. And he's like, really? And I said, yeah, I, I absolutely love being able to use first and second gear rather than starting out everything in third. And then when you're up at 65, 70 mile an hour, you cruise along. Now you were talking about RPMs. 13th gear, I'm turning 1,100 RPMs at 75 mile an hour. I mean, I don't drive that fast all the time, but when you have to, your RPMs are down and truck handles great. Are you but spending my, a lot of It's a 13 speed? Yes. Are you spending a lot double. of time in... Okay, you spending a lot of time in 11th gear? 11th and 12th, mostly. Okay, good. Okay, the question I have for you is I have a 13-speed uh, 1850 torque and I keep tearing up either the gears in the planetary back in the backside there. Um, I tore up a couple of main shaft bearings. Um, all the mechanics are telling me that it's too much torque and Ethan's got this set at 603 horsepower with 19, I think it's 1927 for foot pounds. Um, but I keep tearing up transmission, uh, what engine is it? ISX. ISX. Did did you just say you I'm keep surprised. tearing up transmissions? Yeah, I keep eating the bearings up. How many I'm transmissions not and or anything else. how many miles does it take for this to happen? I'm going through one about every three months. What? How many? Yep. Um, I've gone through four of them now. What does that cost? Have you changed? We won't go there. Well, <laughs> well I wish you would have called us after one. Well, 90% of them are under warranty, and I did bitch to them, I, and they said, well, it's your, it's your horsepower and everything that's it, it's too high. Your torque is too high. And I'm, I'm like, I don't drag race with it. And most of my loads are, are I'm grossing right around sixty five to seventy five thousand. I'm not all in heavy. I am doing a lot of Pennsylvania, you know, Pennsylvania Hills and stuff like that, but um they keep telling me that it's a transmission. So this last time around I was no longer in warranty. I bought the, I upgraded the transmission to a was it twenty fifty uh torque. But is it is that a problem with those 1850s? No. No. We've never had this problem. Kevin, we've never had a call like this, have we? Never. Never. And I'll give you another example. I've never of, heard one like this. Yeah. I, I'll <laughs> give you another example of this. When I first started talking about buying tandem axle tractors and singling them out, and that is a much smaller differential. It's a 20,000 pound differential. And when you tr spec a true single axle, like, you know, companies like FedEx and UPS and Yellow that pull doubles, they spec true single axles. Those are 23,000 pound differentials. Pretty significant difference. You look at them, they're much bigger and heavier duty. And everybody told me, you're going to wipe out that differential. 
you can't run one of those 20,000 pound differentials and pull 80,000 pounds. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, it's not going to work. And I said, well, okay, here's the thing. I already own this one. It didn't cost me anything. I didn't buy it to put it in here. So I'm going to run it till I tear it up and then we'll see. And then I'll go buy a 23,000 pound because that's what you're telling me I need to do right now. They would say, oh, you have to have a 23,000 pound rear end to do that. Well, okay, I've got this one. It's already in there. Let's see what happens. And a million miles later, when I got rid of the truck, that 20,000 pound differential was still working just fine. Anybody? Oh. You know, so one thing, you know, with, with peak torque, even if you have 2,500 deposits of torque, unless you're a fourth to the floor at 1,200 <laughs> RPMs, you're not achieving it. Right. It doesn't matter what you have. And I don't think an owner-operator, after a couple transmission cars, is going to run like that. Does this, does this have a transmission cooler? No, but I do have the gauge in here, and I very seldom get up over 250. I mean, if we were damaging a transmission, you would have to see it in heat. And I was going to say, if this, you know, maybe we have something else... Um, causing this problem because to go through four transmissions i i just can't believe it's the torque and horsepower even if it is hard what on that, I, they would last a lot longer than what you're seeing what about the torque yeah, and I, damper on a crank have you changed it um you guys when you put the engine in um two years ago two and a half years ago uh, you replaced it. Okay. Have you done I any got, oil oh, samples? I got 400,000 on Have you done any yeah, oil samples? Yeah, I do have oil samples. But I do not on the yeah. transmission. I don't. No, I don't. That'd be interesting to see what showed up there. Are we getting it, contaminants in there, possibly? Exactly. And what what failed? Are we seeing bearing material? What what failed in the transmission? We should have been able to see that in a sample. This is just uh, an odd story. I, I don't think that the horsepower and torque have anything to do with this. My my problem, and I, I this is my own opinion when I say this. Um. My own opinion was is it failed, uh, a bearing failed, whether it was premature or whatever. They take the transmission back, they repair it, they tell me what was wrong, and they send it back to me. Okay. They, I don't, I don't think they honestly go through and they flush everything out. And I'm thinking that what's happened is they have, like Pete says, foreign material still floating around inside, so, whether it be you know stuck in a bearing somewhere or whatever. So we're not and talking about four, something else next time. We're not talking about four different transmissions. We're talking about one transmission that they've repaired three times. Yes, under warranty. Yeah, there, there's there's a, a, another part of the story that I think will probably lead us to what really happened. Who knows why it failed the first time? Components fail all the time for all kinds of reasons. Um, but I, I think that there's something going wrong in their repair process here. So I went with a different name brand on this last one, and so far it's been in your uh, four and a half months and, and 50,000 miles. So My guess is four and a half years yeah. from now you're going to call us, and that transmission's still going to be doing just fine. 
probably will be. But I, just, you're running a, I didn't know if anybody else would. Go ahead. When you're running 1,100 RPM at 75 miles per hour, how many pound of boost is that taking on the level? Like if I'm running across Ohio, I'm right around 8 to 9. 8 to 9. Wow. Hey, Bruce, you've, you've been involved yeah. in, in high-performance, crazy high-performance, race trucks, pulling trucks, all kinds of things. What, what do they do for transmissions when they're putting out that kind of power and torque? Whatever came in the truck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we found, like, drag racing trucks and shifting at 3,500 RPM. Just an old Road Ranger 10-speed. You just hold your foot to the floor and <laughs> grab another gear. Never let up on the throttle. Never have a transmission issue. All the years of pulling sleds, taking big cams, and going to the truck pulls, and running a 1,000, 1,200 uh, horsepower, and 2,800 RPM at the end of the line, and uh, 12.5 and 14.6, 13 no problems yeah yeah sometimes well, much lower well, the, torque ratings than what we're looking at yeah the transmission guy when he told me that it was the horsepower i said wait a minute i said correct me if i'm wrong there's two weak spots in the transmission or in the driveline i said there's unit uh u joint and a clutch i said and i'm not replacing either one of those yeah. I, am, I, right. am I correct in saying that? No, you are. You're right. It, no. Normally, if you put too much horsepower and torque, the weakest link is going to fail first. And the weakest link, you're right, is not that transmission. No. So, okay. Yeah, we... we I, get that. I, I think they did... We've, just more quality. Yeah, we've never had this call. We've never had this issue. We've talked about it. We talk about it all the time. Yes, we know we're exceeding torque limits. And, and this comes back to the call about, you know, you can't spec the truck you want because they go by those limits absolute. They will not break those limits at all. And I get it. it it's, they have liability there. They have, you know, the quality of their product. And I, so I understand, but we also know that those limits, all the limits we talk about, Look, I just came back from on the road and I got passed by trucks going 85 miles an hour out west where the speed limit's 80. There's not a truck tire sold in the U.S. that's rated for 85 miles an hour. None. No, they're mostly cut off right at 75. Yeah, that's it. And we exceed those all the time. And we exceed it out there when it's, you know, 100 degrees and the sun's beating down on that tire all day long. And those tires don't fail. There's so much leeway built into that for safety. I'm sure you could run that tire at 100 well, miles an hour and probably nothing's going to go wrong. Remember one of your conversations with Mike Beckett and they were doing, I think it was Michelin, was doing a pressure test with a brand new rim and a brand new tire? Yeah, yeah. And it was like, yeah. what, 450 pounds of pressure and the tire failed before the rim, or excuse me, yeah. the rim failed before the tire? Correct. We talk about that a lot. And that seems bizarre to me that that tire can hold more pressure than the rim can. But but we, we talk about, oh boy, you better not exceed 140 pounds because that's all the rim is rated for. 
and yet it took 300 to make the rim fail. Yeah. All right, I'm going to let somebody else jump in there. Got it. Thanks for the call. Um, yeah, interesting. I have a feeling that was the transmission issue, nothing else. Let's go to Tennessee. Aaron, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. How you all doing? Good. What's on your mind today? So I have a 2018 T680. Um, I actually was just in the shop here a few weeks ago over there and got to meet y'all. Um, I have a um, question on my Davco filter, and I'm wondering, does the catalyst have anything to do with how dark and dirty it gets? Right now, I got a um, 10 micron filter in there, and it's got about 8,000 miles on it, and it's really dark. The max mileage catalyst will clean the sides of your tank, and that uh, dirt is going to end up dirt debris, algae, whatever it is. Uh, asphaltine is going to end up in your fuel filter. Keep running the catalyst, and it will keep cleaning, and then... Uh, you'll see it start to to stay more clear. Okay. 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 And then next, so I... That's uh, right now. Okay. I also was in uh, in November, and I had diesel force done, changed the damper, um, added a balancer. How often should my truck be um, doing a parked regen. Then I do one the other day after about 6,000 miles. What year do you say it was? It, it's an 18. 18. Yeah. yeah, that should do it more than 100 and 150 engine hours. So whatever that turns out to in miles. Depends on how fast you're going. But yeah, okay. you should see like Anything less than like, you know, a hundred, uh, hours in between a region, not great. So, um, just depends on your situation too. That might put in a region. Well, uh, 150 hours is 6,750 road miles on the average. So if you're doing a lot more okay, than that. Okay. So, right, right. Uh, well, it, it tells me if it wants to do it or not. I just got to look out the mirror and it'll be billowing smoke. And now have people driving up beside me, you're on fire, on fire. No, I'm not on fire. I'm okay. <laughs> so. All right. Yeah, they, they don't give you a conversation. Go ahead. Oh, good. I was just saying we had a conversation in your office while I was there uh, with the, uh, uh, the bulletproof, brain octane containers do you remember with the, with the spout yeah the bulletproof Bullet. containers that i put the callus in so it doesn't yeah smell. i i remember the conversation oh, because no. i commented on it that that has been a or we may yeah. have had this conversation i may have been involved in it at the time i said we um we've been through yeah. that with bulletproof over the years their first several containers were awful they leaked all over the place. You couldn't mm -hmm. pour out of them. They dribbled all over. They were always wet. Um, and they've they've been through multiple versions of their bottle and their cap. And, and now it's about as good as I've seen. You can pour it. It doesn't dribble all over the place. 
Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's an issue. We we also talked about like laundry detergent bottles. How because it's a thicker liquid, it's always going to run back down later, and that's why they recapture it when you put the cap back on. Um, I remember the conversation. Mm-hmm. Right, you said you told me don't mix those up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had one of each. Yeah, a, a clean, good coconut oil, and then uh, one with catalyst in it. Yeah, you don't want to mix those up. Although, if you're going to mix them up, I think I'm pretty sure I'd rather put the coconut oil in my truck than the catalyst in my body. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Last question is, um, switching from conventional oil to, um, I I run a T6 with a new OPS system in here. Um, Is that going to make my uh, oil pressure drop just a little bit? It used to run consistent at like 38 pounds, and now it's, you know, it's north of 30, but between that and 38. Yes, depending on what what grade. Now, did you go from a 1540 conventional to what? T6, yes. And that's a 1540? Or is it a 540? Uh, T6, you I'm can get sure. 1040. Well, and that, either or for T6. Yeah, that's why I'm asking because that's going to make a difference too. Yes, you will see a small drop in pressure going to synthetic if it's a 540. If you go from a 1540 conventional to a 30 weight synthetic, you're going to see a pretty significant drop. And the 30 weights are a lot more common. Five years ago, you didn't see 30 weights at all. You had to really go look for them. Now, 30 weights are common because that's the recommended oil in new trucks is now 30 weight. Okay. The T6 used to be very uncommon too, but I'm starting to see it appear everywhere now. It's back on the shelves. You know, here's the thing. If we want the absolute best fuel economy out of our oil, it's a full synthetic 30 weight. And, and that's why they're using it. That's why they switched. That's why they made the engines capable of running on that thinner oil because they, they're now they have to worry about fuel mileage standards from the government. So, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but um, you have to understand the differences and the older, older engines, uh, you can run 30 weight in them. Sometimes it's a little tricky. Let's, uh, we're going to grab one more call. We're going to go to Minnesota. Greg, welcome to the program. Hello, guys. Hey, I got a question. Uh, uh, tuning or uh, ECM tune there for a uh, CPL forty three forty three. Can you guys do that at Pittsburgh? Yep. Sure, you guys got to tune. Oh, you got to tune for them now. Good deal. Um, yeah. Okay, I haven't heard. I haven't heard. I know he wasn't there for a while, and I guess I haven't heard that if you could do that yet. Sounds great. That's all I got. I'll get all right. hold of y'all. Make Perfect. an appointment. Yep. There you go. We That's are going to wrap this up just in time. I've got to uh, get out of this show and go launch the pit um, right after this. We may be slightly late. We said we were going to start at 1230. It'll probably be about 1235 to 1240 or so. So stay tuned for that. Um, anything you guys want to close with? 
Kevin, when he said CPO number, my first thought was Big Kim. Like, what are you talking about tuning it? <laughs> you don't know what 43 is. And I just automatically think Big Kim because the newer engines, you need a serial number to look it up. Got uh, the it. Old, old engines, a CPL, everything I needed to know. And, I'm thinking, what, where's this going? And if I remember theory, right, ex- does the CPL stand for controlled parts list? Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it, it tells you all the parts that were it used to true. build that engine, right? That that configuration. Tells us the major. It was more like a family. Okay. You know, the, okay. the you know, so there could be a, it was more like a, like a family type of number. Got it. Tells us, like on Gem, it tells us the compression ratio, the injector flow, timing, injector part number, timing, turbocharger, piston, um, is it after cold or not? And different things like that. It's a quick reference. I mean, it still does. It's just not as specific anymore. Okay. And they need more information for the electronic engines. Yeah. They, they don't have as many different combinations. And you know. Now Pete and I have to go look up 4343. <laughs> yeah, you figure a, even on an N14-2592, that engine... Mechanically, it was the same engine, whether it was a um, three seventy horse or a five and a quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a programming. Whereas, if you said, "Hey, I got a six twenty five CPL," that was a four hundred horse engine. Period. It was nothing ever other than a four hundred horse. Well, with electronic engines, it could be different horsepower with the same parts in it. Got it. You got to find it in that book first. Got it. Yeah, but I still have my. Or CPL book, and I have it all taped together. Oh, I don't doubt that. I'm okay. sure. Yeah. I've had this book about 40. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. All right, guys, we are going to wrap this up. Thanks, as always. Next week, we're going to shoot for uh, having some video on this as well. So uh, we can do a live stream with video and show some things. We'll we'll get working on that now. So we're going to wrap this up. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power. And uh, we will be right back in about five to ten minutes with an episode of The Pit. And we'll be announcing our new co-host for that show. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always. Do the hard work and master the journey.